This speech is my recital. You may think it's very vital to trade a lot as the market tops and hope that it goes viral. They say hold the line because it's Tendy's time, but this I must impress. When the trade unwinds, the losses climb and it causes serious stress. We get the thrill. It's tough to chill when Roaring Kitty's printing cash. But when Kitty bails and your broker fails and you split your keyboard with a smash, it pays to learn what makes markets churn. So get back on the Investopedia Express. Hat tip to Run DMC. What's up, Queens? And can it get any more interesting than last week? When you have investing stories filled with characters named Roaring Kitty and Imposter 22 going to battle against hedge funds and short sellers like Melvin Capital and Citron Research and actually beating them? When you have the legendary R&B singer Dionne Warwick asking what stonks are on Twitter? When you have Robinhood going from the online trading platform that claimed to democratize investing for the masses, being accused of protecting the hedge funds that back it? When you have politicians like Ted Cruz and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez actually agreeing on something? When you have silver futures in a short squeeze and George Soros isn't involved? When GameStop becomes a more important stock than Tesla? When tendies become the new word for trading profits? When the Tendy Man tune takes over social media? Soon may the Tendy Man come to send a rocket into the sun. One day when the trading is done, we'll take our gains and go. Then the bar, my friends, is pretty darn high. But anything can happen. If you were meditating in a cave last week or hiking the Appalachian Trail or otherwise off the grid, let me bring you up to speed on the GameStop Day Traders versus Hedge Fund saga in 60 seconds. Put me on the clock. Last summer, a YouTuber who goes by the name Roaring Kitty did a deep value dive into GameStop, the video game retailer you may remember from shopping malls of a long-gone era. Roaring Kitty's real name is Keith Gill, but he goes by the handle Deep Effing Value on the Wall Street Bets forum on Reddit. His analysis was pretty smart, even though GameStop business was getting killed by the pandemic and online game subscriptions. On the other side of this trade, you had short sellers and some hedge funds betting against shares of GameStop. Citron Research was one of them. They made their research public, and they had their own thesis as to why the shares would decline in value. When the stock started rallying, they went public, saying why they believed the stock was overvalued. They became the poster child for the short side that was about to get squeezed. And squeeze they got as day traders assembling on Wall Street bets rallied to drive shares of GameStop to withering heights while sticking a finger in Citron's eye. Citron dropped out of the trade, losing millions. The shockwaves were intense as the buzz about stocks that were heavily shorted like BlackBerry, AMC Entertainment, and Tootsie Roll brought a swarm of new participants to the stock market on platforms like Robinhood and Webull. Volumes exploded in stocks that had short exposure as these day traders bid each one of them higher, delighting in what they call loss porn on Wall Street bets. Robinhood, which had been basking in the glow of 2020 when it signed up millions of new accounts and was on its way to a lucrative IPO, went from the hero of this new band of day traders to villain as it restricted its customers' ability to trade their new favorite stocks. Robinhood had its reasons, but the Wall Street bets crowd wasn't having it, and neither were lawmakers. The White House said new Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is, quote, looking into it. The SEC is sniffing around to see if there was any collusion on the part of a group of investors, perhaps even big hedge funds, who may have conspired to drive prices in these securities even higher, and goading on these day traders on Wall Street bets using false information. Who might stand to benefit if these shorted stocks shot higher? Meanwhile, the frenzy continues as several of the most shorted stocks are poised to trade higher yet again to start the week. And now it appears that the Wall Street Bets community is targeting silver futures as their next short squeeze, as the heavy metal is having its biggest rally in eight years. 
U.S. equity markets fell hard last week with the S&P 500 and the Dow Industrials going negative for the year. Was this a reaction to the volatility and the shock and awe these traders brought to the market? Or is the old bull just getting a little bit tired? It kind of looks like it did in 2009 and in 1987 after big recoveries. It may just be catching its breath. We're going to get into the impact of these recent market developments and what it means for the market's outlook with Ryan Dietrich of LPL Financial, who climbs back on the express for another trip. And then we're going to take a deep dive back into financial history with Jamie Catherwood of Investor Amnesia to find some old patterns between the trading elite and the masses. But first, let's get set up for the week ahead. Outside of the day trading frenzy, it's another big week for corporate earnings. On Tuesday, Alibaba, Amazon, and Google's parent company Alphabet all report quarterly results. We know that Amazon had record revenue days during the holiday shopping season and that Google has been targeted by lawmakers for antitrust issues, as has Amazon in Europe, by the way. But it's their cloud businesses that might get more attention this week. Amazon Web Services, or AWS as it's called in-house, is Amazon's fastest-growing, highest-margin business and one of the main keys to its future profits. Google has been growing Google Cloud as advertising revenue has been slowing, and Alibaba has also been pushing into the space. If the outlook for their cloud businesses is cloudy, bring an umbrella this week. Oil majors BP and ExxonMobil also report results this week, and we know their 2020 losses were severe. What's their outlook for 2021, especially given the Biden administration's clean energy goals? The Wall Street Journal reported that Chevron and Exxon held merger talks last year, but that well was dry. But if they talked about it before and someone's leaking the news now, you know it's a real possibility. Ford reports results on Wednesday, and the stock is up 20% in 2021. Does Dearborn have anything up its sleeve to counter GM's bombshell announcement last week that it will not make any vehicles that run on fossil fuels after 2035? We'll see. Two key economic reports to keep an eye on this week. Today, the Purchasing Managers Index for the UK manufacturers is released, and on Wednesday, we'll get the PMI for businesses in the services sector. This will be the first Purchasing Managers Index report since Brexit. How's it going over there? And on Friday, we'll get the December U.S. unemployment report. And while the official unemployment rate may show a decline, the real jobs crisis in this country isn't going anywhere. More than 20 million people are still receiving unemployment benefits. And without a new stimulus bill, many of those will expire at the end of March. The day trading frenzy over some of the most shorted stocks and the battle between hedge funds and a new and socially mobilized group of day traders put the markets and financial media on its ear last week. We've seen manias before and we'll see many more in the future, but this one felt different. The question is, will this have a longer term impact on the stock market or are there bigger forces at play that are determining where we go from here? We're bringing back Ryan Dietrich, the chief strategist at LPL Financial, back onto the Express because Ryan always has sound perspective when it comes to these things. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank you, Caleb. You set the bar pretty high there, but I'm going to do my best because like you and I were just talking before we hit record. I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like this one, but we're going to try and put it all together. And it seems like you and I are continuing to have these conversations where we say, I don't think we've seen this before. So this has been yeah. a, a year of discovery in so many ways, and we're right in the thick of it. So were you surprised at the intensity of the trading and the backlash between the big institutions and this new active day trading movement this week? Yeah, I think you'd have to say, I, I, I'm shocked. And let me put it in perspective, right? Our friends at JP Morgan, I just saw their study. They said that the action of the highly shorted stocks on Wednesday, which by the way, was like the heaviest trading day in the history of the NYSE, was actually a five sigma event. Caleb, that is supposed to happen once every 13,932 years. All right. 
It just happened on Wednesday. And something tells me we're going to see more of these rare Sigma events. Maybe not what we're doing now, but sometime in the next five to 10 years. Isn't it funny might not be the right word, but I'm going to say, isn't it funny how the stock market doesn't see these big curveballs coming at it when you see this is a five Sigma event. But it sure feels like we've seen some of these things before over the last you know, 15, 20 years, if not, if not longer, for those that's been around longer than that. Right. It's like a meteor or a comet passing by the Earth this time. But it is the age of Aquarius. We knew that was coming. We did have a crazy moon this week. So it could be all those things. But this has kind of been building for a while too, right? There's always been day traders ever since you could day trade. And there's always been online forums ever since GeoCities in the early days of the internet. But even before that, that tulip mania go back as far as you want. But this feeling has been building for a while where they're gathering together day traders and they're targeting individual stocks. But can they actually move the market in legitimate ways as we saw this week? Or or was this an anomaly? Yeah, we'd say right now it's an anomaly. And I'm fully aware of what everyone is saying. You know, some of these, maybe these institutions, maybe some of these specialized brokerages are in, in trouble, right? These short stocks went up so much, they don't have capital, they got to get more capital. You know, maybe you have to sell some large cap stocks. Don't forget, it's like the end of the month. You always get squirrely things happening as big institutions square up their books at the end of the month. So those are some things to think about. The other that we've been talking about at LPL Research a lot is, you know, if you overlay this bull market that we started, obviously, last March with the one that started in 2009, both started in March, 70% rallies until early January, both times. And you know what happened? There was a 10% correction in early 2010. Now, it's never this simple. I get it. But after a 70% rally, a lot of excitement, all this day trading, and a lot, little bit of pockets of euphoria, if you will hear, I think it makes sense that we were due for a break. And one final stat, and we can keep rolling. It's February, right? February is the worst month of the year when you have a post-election year. Also, from the early February until the middle of March, when you have a new president and a new party in the White House, take a while, guess what happens? Stocks tend to be pretty weak. In fact, it's one of the worst seasonally times. So it all lined up to us that, hey, after a 72% rally, a double in small caps, more than double in small caps, maybe it was just time for a break. And we're going to blame GameStop and all these highly shorted guys. But we think it just was time for a break, to be honest here. We had you on a couple of months ago. We, we were seeing the rotation to value. We were seeing emerging markets pop. We were seeing the metals rise. All the things you talked about that were going to happen definitely happen. Then this kind of rotation back. Apple reported a $100 billion plus quarter in sales the biggest quarter of all time. And the rest of the earnings weren't that bad, but still it's like no country for misses here. Uh, if you miss or you don't explode on your earnings, the market's going to turn against you. Is there sort of a turn in sentiment or just that pullback that you were talking about that seasonal and taking a breather here? We've had a hell of a run. Yeah, we have. Yeah, maybe it's just, you know, kind of some things you just said. I mean, look at earnings so far, right? I mean, like over 80% of companies are beating by an average of more than 20%. Those are some of the largest beats we've ever seen other than the last two quarters. Okay, it's it's pretty amazing. And you mentioned countries just before you and I started. I was looking on my facts at all the countries I follow. There's only one country up today, Norway. I have no idea what they're doing over in Norway, but they're doing something right because every other country today is firmly in the red, you know, Friday. So that's, that kind of tells you it's just kind of a risk off type of of a day here. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they're putting a bunch of GameStop retail shops up in downtown Oslo. Uh, maybe <laughs> yeah, that's what's going that's on true. over there. Or well, um, maybe Frozen 3, Frozen 4, Frozen 5, and then where Frozen is supposedly uh, filmed or at least uh, based on, right, Norway? Well, the, the, cold, <laughs> the cold never bothered them anyway. Uh, so, so fascinating. There you go. <laughs> just, just a month into the markets, I'm sure you didn't have microcaps leading the market, all the gains on your bingo card coming into this year, but that's what happens when you have this type of a mania. The one question I, I do want to have about sort of this day trading, uh, you know, all the excitement around it and what's happened in the past week is – 
what could be the overall risks to the stock market? I've been getting this question a lot where people say, what's the downside for mom and pop 401k investors who are just trying to do the right thing, play the long game? What could be one of the downsides that you see, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, for the mom and pop in the long game, I don't see too much downside. We might have a 10% correction like we talked about. And if they're using that as an opportunity, that's great. Where I have my concerns are, like you said, a lot of novice traders. I literally had buddies texting me I haven't heard of for years and take a wild guess who they're asking about. GameStop, right? You know, people are piling into this thing and you, we know what's going to happen. Eventually, it's going to come back down. All these stocks are eventually going to come back down. And you wonder who's going to be holding the bag when it does. And the truth, I mean, I was on the other side of this, okay? In 1999, I was at Xavier University in Cincinnati. I remember that time. I remember cutting classes, buying stocks, penny stocks, loving it, making all this money. And you know what happened? Everything went down. I was on margin. I got lit up. But it was a very valuable lesson, and I'm glad it happened. At a young age, I learned, boy, oh, boy, margin and things move. They go down a lot faster than they go up. So you know what's going to happen. A lot of people that are coming into this a little late, excited, they're going to lose. And it's going to be unfortunate. But at the same time, sometimes you have to lose to win, I guess you could say, to learn these lessons. And it's just a sad truth of where it's going to be. But the people that have the longer-term view on things, like we talked about, earnings are strong. The Fed's still there. Fiscal stimulus is there. And honest to goodness, I know people say stocks are expensive. When you consider the low inflation, we all think stocks are all that expensive and it'd be an opportunity to buy for longer term holders. But people playing the game of these highly shorted stocks, they better be careful is all I'm going to say. As Jimmy Cliff would say, the harder they come, the harder they fall. And you'll learn that if you day trade and don't know what you're doing. So long game is always better, we say, if you can do it. But we understand the temptation. Ryan Dietrich, always great to have your perspective. Thanks for joining us back on The Express. It's good to see you again. Anytime. Look forward to it. The battle between hedge funds and day traders or big financial institutions and the little guys and gals doing it on their own is nothing new. We usually see it when markets get toppy, story stocks take on legendary proportions, and the masses move en masse into the markets, although this time feels a little bit different. Or does it? The history of financial markets is full of great tales of the brazen few who stood up to Wall Street or the trading masses who swarmed in and out of stocks, sending them into the stratosphere and then crashing back down to earth. Well, who better to take a deep dive into financial history than with Jamie Catherwood of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management and the man behind the terrific Investor Amnesia blog and newsletter. Welcome back to The Express, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. I should have you write my intros. That was really uh, that was a really good intro. <laughs> Made me excited. I'm exhausted from, from that intro, but it's so true. And your newsletter this weekend talking about these bubbles and these these movements is so rich and full of information. So stock markets have always had their classes, the insiders versus the outsiders, so to speak. Take us back to the 1860s when there was the tailcoat and top hat traders and everyone else. I feel like since this whole GameStop and everything that's happened in the last few weeks has occurred, this kind of narrative around retail speculators versus the hedge funds and Wall Street institutions has become one of the kind of dominant themes. And it's one of the rare issues where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz are on the same side of an issue. If they're agreeing on anything, you know the world is upside down. Yeah. 2020 was weird. 2021 is off to an equally strange start. But yeah, so I was reading back through some original books from the 19th century on how markets operated. And one of the interesting passages I was reading talked about how basically on the New York Stock Exchange, there were two distinct classes of brokers is how this source describes it. And one comprised members of what was called the regular board who inherited or paid hefty sums for these board exchange seats. And this class you can kind of view as the caricature of 
of Wall Street and what people imagine, especially from this era, where they were literally trading at the exchange in tailcoats and top hats. And they had personal chairs, like, you know, cushy leather chairs that were in a fixed place in the room that was their designated spot. And they sat there and they only traded actually, I believe, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And basically one guy would go around the room and just like one by one, they'd go through each stock and trade amongst that kind of elite. Illuminati seeming uh, exchange room with all these guys in tailcoats and top hats. And so that was from 10 to two. But then you also had the open board, which was kind of everybody else is like the top 1% who traded. And then you had everyone else who did not inherit any seats, paid a way lower membership fee. It was like less than a 10th of what the fancy board members paid. And they traded in the street standing. So very different than the elitist board exchange seats. And they could not join the regular board, the fancy board, but the public was able to basically be in among the throng of the lower board, what they called the open board in the streets. And it's kind of just mayhem. If you look at any of the illustrations or pictures of the trading going on outside the exchange. It just looks like a a madhouse. And what's interesting is that because the fancy board of exchange was only trading from 10 to 2, the trading volume of the lower class board was estimated to be 10 times that of the the fancy traders. Wow, you got the volume outside, the the call, the actual open outcry, so to speak, in the streets of New York. And can just imagine it with, you know, folks throwing tomatoes at each other or getting <laughs> each other's faces and, you know, the horse carriages piling by, you know, folks streaming by with their trolleys. Meanwhile, inside, it's that thick cigar smoke, yeah. you know, the smell of mutton chop, good whiskey <laughs> and tops and tails as these guys, the masters of the universe are literally trying to, it, you know, control the markets while the throngs are outside. So fascinating. Can't wait for the Martin Scorsese movie on that one to come out. What was interesting also is that the source made a note that the fancy exchange board made a point to never miss their lunch break. So like they were only trading from 10 to 2 and then also all took a lunch break in that shortened four-hour trading window. Sure. It's exhausting, uh, you know, moving hundreds of millions of dollars around and controlling the country uh, in your top coat. I can totally imagine (laughs) Another instance of the selective few making the rules for what you can and can't do to make money around a market, which is antithesis of a free market. But that, that's the golden rule, right, Jamie? Those with the gold make the rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a good one. All right. Finally, let's talk about man versus market. The legendary Clarence Saunders and his piggly wiggly stores in the early 20th century. Who was Saunders and what is he famous for? Yeah. So basically, he was the president and founder of Piggly Wiggly, which was a grocery store chain. And it was actually kind of an innovative grocery store because apparently before this time, when you went shopping at the grocery store, you would hand a clerk your shopping list and he would go get it and you would just wait there for him to bring you your items. It's like the worst possible version of Instacart because you had to still wait in the store. But Piggly Wiggly was innovative because this company basically came up with the process that we're all used to today, where you just go and get your own items and then check out and leave. And so it was so successful that there were thousands of stores across the US. And he started licensing out Piggly Wiggly to other stores and or other locations. And in the Northeast, some of those, I think in Connecticut specifically, some of those licensed stores began to fail. And so the short sellers of the day were basically saying, okay, we're going to take advantage of this because there are some signs of failure, but we're going to spread rumors that the parent company is also in financial trouble. And so they started spreading these rumors and the stock price tanked. And then 
Saunders found out about this and he was obviously pissed because this was not the case. Almost all the stores were still doing well. It was just a little isolated pocket of struggling stores in the Northeast. Doesn't take much, but a little kindling to start a fire. Like exactly. And so he basically decided that he was going to take on Wall Street and these short sellers by trying to corner the market. And by that, he was going to try and purchase all the outstanding shares and basically force the short sellers to cover their positions by purchasing from him. And so he, I think, got like a $10 million loan from various sources and made the trip to New York for Tennessee. And he basically made this uh, like committee of, uh, I don't know, buying committee essentially. And the a syndicate is what we Yeah, call exactly. It. And the point was just to have this group all buy shares in secret so that people wouldn't know until he wanted to unveil and get the shorts to buy from him that they were going to just secretly buy up all the shares. So in like the first week, I think they purchased 105,000 shares of the 200,000 outstanding. And the syndicate was actually led by Jesse Livermore, which is interesting. The legendary Jesse Livermore. Exactly. And eventually it got to the point where he demanded a recall of the shares from short sellers. And he said, you have to have all the shares back to me by tomorrow, which basically gave them 24 hours to buy shares. And essentially, because they had already bought so many shares, the syndicate themselves, the only people the shorts could buy from were the syndicate. And so I think he asked for a price of like $175 a share when previously, a couple of weeks earlier, when they started shorting, it was only at $50 a share. And so the plan would have worked, but the New York Stock Exchange Governing Committee said that first shares were restricted from trading, which complicated things for Saunders. But then they also kind of sketchily, there's questions over how legal this was and whether they had the jurisdiction to do so, but they extended the delivery window for short sellers from that Wednesday, the following day, to the following Monday. So that meant that the short sellers had more than enough time to go find shares elsewhere except from buying from Saunders, which meant that his kind of whole corner just crumbled to pieces. He attempts to corner the market on his own shares, but is not able to pull it off. And it ends shrouded in mystery, which is going to be the stuff of, of legends, just like what we saw in the last week. Always great to have your perspective. Um, your Investor Amnesia newsletter, it doesn't come out early enough for me on Sunday mornings because I'm up early with a cup of coffee ready for it. But I love it. I love it every week. And thank you so much for coming back on The Express. Thank you so much for having me again. It's terminology time. Time for us to get smart with the investing term the educated investor needs to know this week. This week's term actually comes from my dear old dad, David Silver, my Jedi master in all things business. Dad actually gets an Investopedia Express hoodie because he's a super fan, and I already gave him a lot of socks. David suggests margin call this week, and I hope we don't see too many of those given all the short selling that's happening out there. According to the greatest financial education website in the world, a margin call occurs when the value of an investor's margin account falls below the broker's required amount. An investor's margin account contains securities bought with borrowed money, typically a combination of the investor's own money and money borrowed from the investor's broker. A margin call refers specifically to a broker's demand that an investor deposit additional money or securities into the account so that it is brought up to the minimum value known as the maintenance margin. A margin call is usually an indicator that one or more of the securities held in the margin account has decreased in value. When a margin call occurs, the investor must choose to either deposit more money in the account or sell some of the assets held in their account. Believe me, you don't want to be on the receiving end of a margin call. By the way, the movie Margin Call, starring the great Stanley Tucci, underrated and worth the download. 
Well, it's Black History Month here in the U.S., and we'll let Muhammad Ali take us out this week. Ali was one of the most important people of the 20th century and left his mark on everything and everybody he touched. Here's Ali in a rare interview talking about how he would like to be remembered in a 1972 interview with David Frost. I'd like for them to say he took a few cups of love. He took one tablespoon of patience, one tablespoon teaspoon of generosity, one pint of kindness. He took one quart of laughter, one pinch of concern, and then he mixed willingness with happiness. He added lots of faith and he stirred it up well. Then he spread it over a span of a lifetime and he served it to each and every deserving person he met. No one ever said it better. Thanks for taking the long haul with us this week. We've got a new TikTok channel featuring some investing and trading tips from yours truly. So if you tick or you talk, find us there and everywhere else. We'll talk to you next week a little further on down the line. 